Welcome to the NFT Now podcast. Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture. Welcome to the show. Matt, what's happening, bro? How are you feeling? I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? I'm good, man. Another week, another episode of the NFT Now podcast. And today, not only do we have our, our very special guest that we'll get to in a second, but we also have another special guest, uh, our co-host, co-founder of NFT Now, Alejandro Navia. Señor, ¿qué tal? ¿Qué tal? ¿Cómo estamos, amigos? I'm so excited to be here. Thanks again for the debut podcast. Just stoked to be here. Very excited to have him. Um, Alejandro is going to be joining us in the different episodes that are very industry business focused. Uh, and in that vein, today, very excited for our guest, Jesse Grushek. Matt, you want to yeah. set, the, set the stage? Absolutely. Jesse has been a longtime friend from dating back to like the dance music blog days, but Jesse is best known uh, for joining Consensus and co founding Ujo Music, um, an Ethereum based uh, music software services company. Um, he's also the co founder of Ethereal. Uh, and he is now also, as of just in the past month, the co-founder of Six, uh, a creative agency for NFTs in partnership with RAC, uh, the artist who, he's, who he also worked with during his time at Consensus. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been in the game for a while. He's seen the ups, he's seen the downs. He's, he's always played largely at the intersection of the music industry and and blockchain. So very exciting to, to see. I mean, obviously there's been a lot of hype and a lot of conversation around NFTs within music, beyond music. Um, I think he just brings lots of credibility and experience in the, the business side and the, the market side and the tech side. So I think he does a fantastic job at distilling it down in this episode today. What are some of the market evolutions that we'll see? What are some of the things that are really going to help us go from this early adopter phase to an early majority and mainstream phase? What are some of the best examples, not only of NFTs, but of DAOs and social tokens and social social communities? So wealth of knowledge. Very excited to have Jesse on. So without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Jesse, always good to see you, man. So glad to have you on the podcast. Uh, you've been working at the intersection of music and blockchain technology for quite some time. Um, you've done a lot of groundbreaking work with Ujo that, that I feel was ahead of its time, um, working with RAC, uh, the Ego Token, Image and Heap, and more. Where did that project leave off? And what projects do you feel are best carrying the torch these days? Yeah, so... I've been in the blockchain space for, I guess, probably 10 years at this point, uh, professionally for about six. And when we did Ujo, you know, I think we were definitely ahead of our time. Um, I knew nothing about the music industry going into it and got absolutely schooled in 2016, learning, uh, learning all the ins and outs and how kind of fucked up the system was. Um, and we were just constantly trying to push the barriers, constantly trying to bring value back to creators. And the project left off in 2019 about we were doing something, I guess, which, you know, best looks to today, like catalog um, dot works. Um, basically, you know, we had built a platform where you could upload your music. Every time you purchase a song, a song you would get an NFT. Um, we didn't call them NFTs because we thought that name was never going to catch on and, and was kind of dumb. Uh, here we are now. Uh, funny world we live in. But um, yeah, so, you know, I think the project left off more out of a, a product of just kind of 
we had been it for so long, kind of throwing stuff against the wall, trying to see what would stick. And I don't think any of us expected that we would be kind of the landscape would look like it does today. Um, but, you know, between Audius Music, um, which is a streaming platform and catalog, I think there are people kind of really carrying the torch and, and propelling what we started uh, forward. So it's exciting to see that not everything we did was uh, for nothing. Yeah. No, that's super exciting. Great contributions. I mean, as you extrapolate, I know you mentioned some different examples and a lot of the, the hype and conversation that's happening today. Like, where do you see there, there being some of the most exciting and disruptive applications that are kind of bringing together the intersection of like the music industry and, and artists and fans, as well as like blockchain technology? I think right now the whole space is exciting. It's kind of, you know, I spent three years going to labels, going to publishers, and they didn't care. They didn't want to listen. And we were early. You know, and, and I acknowledge that. But it's that, just to me to see that they're excited to have the conversation right now is one of the most exciting things. Um, and especially that we're seeing a lot of the management side as well, because I think the closer this is to the artists, the closer the NFT movement, the decentralization movement is to the artists, the better we all are, um, because that allows those kinds of direct connections. And are the labels kind of going to be left out of this? Probably there just needs to be less gatekeeping in music and more access to to the data. So to me, the whole space is exciting right now. It feels very electric. It feels Bloghouse 2011. It feels, you know, Napster 2001. It's just, you know, it, it's a new medium. It's a new space. And I think uh, those that are willing to be to explore it will be rewarded pretty heavily and have been rewarded thus far um so you know i yeah i said to your question i can't point to anything one thing that's exciting me i think you know audius is exciting i think what you guys are doing with nft now is exciting i think the whole space is just it's it's exciting again um and it took us you know three-ish years of a of a bear market to get back here but uh we weathered the storm and um i think there's there's nowhere to go but up yeah, man, that's a really excellent point. And there's been lots of hype and movement right now with the musicians launching their own NFTs. You know, we have Blau, then you have uh, Kings of Leon and those concepts launching. Um, some are excited about the long-term potential and the contribution to the community, while others are really focused on cash grabs. How do you envision NFTs being applied within, the, uh, within music and fan culture in the coming years? Yeah, so I think the community right now is being the ultimate judge of, of projects that are kind of going out and being cash grabs. And, you know, I think the last two weeks, um, so I guess what we're at March 17th right now. So two weeks, the last couple of weeks, the beginning of March, 2021, um, those weeks were just ridiculous. And I think that's where we saw the biggest cash grabs happening. Um, but I, I don't know if it was at fault to the artists or if it was a fault to the market, really, um, because the market was willing to buy, you know, two, three thousand, ten thousand dollar open edition NFTs. And when you start the prices that high, it becomes very difficult to find buyers in the secondary market to be able to kind of resell this stuff if you want to. And what does a ten thousand dollar NFT get you at the moment? You know, especially one that doesn't have any type of unique or limited backing to it. So, you know, I think. Those first couple of weeks in March, we saw some people get burned pretty bad on buying these open editions from anyone and everything. But I think we're starting already to see the market level off. The conversations we're having with uh, Six, uh, which is a creative agency uh, that I started with RAC and a couple others, we're you know we we don't want to take projects that are cash grabs. We want to take projects that that enhance the longevity of this ecosystem, that make this a new avenue for revenue. 
that make it a new avenue for fans and artists to connect directly. And that's, that's what we say in every conversation because, you know, we, the amount of people that have come to us and say, I want to do what Justin Blau did. We go, great. Do you know what Justin Blau did? Do you know how much time <laughs> he spent, you know, putting, it wasn't, it wasn't just Justin decided to drop an NFT. Justin spent months working on this on ideating on this on building out his own custom platform on engaging with the community and he has that community support. He's an independent artist. So, you know, it's a lot different when you have someone like Justin Blau coming out and doing something kind of in support of the crypto community and then, you know, is rewarded from that versus we've seen some bigger artists, you know, not do those types of numbers that they would potentially do in, in the traditional world. Um, but that's just because I think this takes a real level of care, thought, and, and energy to be put into it. And if you're not willing to do that, um, you're not going to get the results you want. So, you know, it's, it, I think it's, we're, we're already shifting from the cash grabby nature of it. I think there still will be, you know, low effort, um, low hanging fruit there, um, that people will, will take. But, you know, I mean, if you look at what people did, people sold a $1 NFT. Um, and not the most recent one, but his ones, you know, at the end of last year. And now fans can resell those for $200,000. So he's taken 10% of that. He's making 20 grand off of every sale in perpetuity. And he also, you know, now his fans love him because all of a sudden I just made $180,000 off of the people that I bought. You know, it's that kind of concept is, I mean, it, it breeds allegiance, right? It's you help me, I'm going to help you and I'm going to be there to support you. So um, you know, I think those were already seeing the market dynamics play out. Um, and the NFTs to us just feel like the beginning of this. They feel like getting your feet wet in this space. And, and you know, I'm excited to see where, where artists kind of continue to push the boundaries on, you know, further than just physical or digital art or minting something that's already existed. Yeah, man, that's a really, really powerful insight. And I love the way that you spoke about the allegiance concept for the secondary market. And I want to, I want to, I want you to speak to that, the importance of the secondary market and what's going to be the forces that are going to continue driving it. Because you mentioned that some of the art pieces may not have something to back it, you know, like high, high, high entrance points, things of that nature. Can you elaborate on what a secondary sustainable market may actually look like. Yeah. You know, I think in terms of backing it, right, there's nothing necessarily backing any of this. But when you go out and sell, say, I want to support my fans and then sell them $10,000 semi-limited edition stuff, is that supporting them or is that taking money from them? But when you do that in a way that's sustainable, when you started at maybe $250 because, you know, you need to pay your artist and like, you know, he requires just as much money as, as the music put behind it, you know, then we start to see stuff in the secondary. And this is, I think this is what really excites a lot of artists in this space because I don't, it's never really existed in a situation where artists can continue to get residuals off of art every time it's sold and passes hands, right? That's why Christie's and Sotheby's companies take huge commissions on the front because they know it might get traded hands privately. And when it does get traded hands privately, all the money goes to the to the seller. So a 10% commission looks like royalties for an artist. It looks like I created this thing and it's going to live in perpetuity and in digital worlds and the metaverse. And I will always own 10% of that. So if this is the best piece of art I'm ever going to create in my life, I will, even if I sell it, I'll never lose that. And I'll continue to kind of gain from that. And that's a really powerful tool because 
as we've seen in the streetwear markets, you know, that, that'll be back to the allegiance concept, right? It's like when things become, you know, when Yeezy announces that he's only doing a thousand pairs of a shoe, the secondary market becomes super hot. And the second that they go, Oh, we're going to re-release this shoe, the same exact style, same exact thing, the market crashes, right? And all the people that were originally supporters or, you know, they lose that allegiance because the ga- rules of the game change. And so I think, you know, that's one of the exciting things about blockchain is that the rules don't change. And as a creator, as an artist, you have to be aware of that going into this. You know, it, it's being upfront about the rules of the game so that everyone feels like it's a fair situation because this stuff is transparent. So if you go reissue NFTs you already made, you're collapsing your own social capital there. Jesse, you touched on it briefly, but I'd love to hear a bit more about Six, the uh, creative agencies for NFTs that you launched with RAC. Uh, obviously, Andre's always been someone who has operated from a place of trying to empower artists. Uh, and so I'm really curious to hear a bit more about um, what, what your mission is for it. What type of projects are you looking to take on? What are you hearing and, and what do you hope to achieve uh, with this new venture? Yeah, so Six kind of spawned out of some chat rooms that me, Andre, and uh, our buddy Gio um, we're in that, you know, we were already kind of acting as an agency. We were trying to connect people to the different platforms. Um, and we said to ourselves, you know, people are going to do this. So if it's going to be other people, it might as well be us because we feel like we have a pretty decent amount of knowledge in this space. And, you know, Andre has done his own drops. Geo has done drops for his, his artists, you know, at the end of last year that were some of the very profitable ones like Vantage and some others. And we kind of said to ourselves, you know, instead of just all kind of leaning on each other and doing this separately, let's all share in that success. Um, and let's build an agency. And once Blau did his, his NFT, you know, that Sunday morning, the music industry woke up and was like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Someone just made $12 million as an independent artist and, in two days, um, we need to be all over this. And we kind of launched our website the day that Monday. So it was about three weeks ago and, uh, just wanted to plant our flag and say, you know, we're here and we feel like we have a lot of knowledge in this space and we don't want to see it get ruined by people just trying to do cash grabs or people just trying to, to pave the way for, um, you know, labels to get at their hands in this, applying old world models. You know, what does it look like to do NFTs? Once we do NFTs with an artist, what does it look like to kind of go further down the crypto rabbit hole? Is that more NFTs? Is that, you know, playing shows in Decentraland or the metaverse? Um, is it launching your own community token, right? These questions are things we're all asking in the first meetings because if, if their intention is just, oh, we want to do an NFT with this song that we had for five years ago and we're going to hire an artist and pay him $5,000 and, you know, Let's make, make, uh, we'll start the pricing and we'll make a million dollars. We're like, okay, um, we're probably not the partners for you because that to us doesn't lead to longevity in the system. It doesn't lead to longevity of fans. Um, it's just kind of, you know, a very short term thinking. So our clients are people that are excited about this space, are looking at it as a new art form. Uh, Dre constantly, RAC constantly, you know, says, he looks at this as as a new, completely new art form. And when he sits down to write a song for an NFT, it's no longer telling a, th- a three minutes, four minute story. It's, it's telling a 30 second story, right? Against a piece of art that, you know, he may or may not have input, had so much creative input in, but kind of sits down and with, uh, he collaborates with Andreas Riesinger a lot, who does beautiful landscapes and, and, and roomscapes and, um, just has a great aesthetic overall. But, um, you know, they sit down, they kind of come up with a vibe. And then 
Andres works on the art and Dre, Andre works on the, uh, the music and for him, it's, it's a new medium. And I think that's, what's exciting about this space is, is it is a new medium and it should be treated as such. And it, maybe we shouldn't be applying all the old copyright laws and all this IP stuff. And maybe we should just let it live as it is. And, you know, maybe when you start buying song NFTs, they go and live in the metaverse and you have, can have a record collection that lives in your Decentraland house that, you know, you can only have access to because you bought those NFTs first and, other people can pay you royalties, which, you know, some parts go back to the artists. And I think there's just so much to explore that when you start to box yourself into just doing NFTs, you miss out on. So yeah, so with six, that's kind of the client base we're going after. It's the people that want to to play, to explore, to, uh, you know, help shape this new ecosystem. I love that. No, it's, it's super awesome. And when you think about like shaping the new ecosystem and you already, I mean, you've been alluding to some of the, the interesting applications as we look further into the future as to, to what this can be beyond its like current art form. But when you think about general market adoption, what do you think needs to happen in order for this to really go from like its current stage of like early adopters to like early majority and mainstream? I mean, even you look at Justin Blau, you referenced the the, the momentum and rapport and, and equity he's already built with the community by being such an active member over time and that being such a big part of his success. Even RAC, it's like the artists that are having the most, the musicians that are having the most success are the ones that have been a part of the community the, the longest. So it's like to your average musician, like there might only be like 1% of their fan base that's even like, yes, we're, we're all very close to all the, the hype in the news, but even then it's still relatively like niche. So I'm curious from your perspective, like what takes this to a more mainstream level between like brands, creators, musicians, and like the, the mass market of their fans? That's a good question because I think we're starting to see the mass market enter the space, right? Charmin today did an NFT, right? They did NFTPs, you know, non-fungible toilet paper. And Taco Bell did an NFT a couple of weeks ago, right? So it's like, you know, is the mainstream here ready? Kind of, they they kind of are. Um, And, you know, to the Kings of Leon, to their their praise, really, they took a huge risk by going crypto only. And, you know, did it pay off in the way that they wanted to? I have no idea. But I think, you know, what it did pay off in was kind of exploring a new model, uh, taking a risk, taking a you know, a leap into this space and pushing their fans to a crypto only system, which proved to be pretty difficult. You know, I think a lot of their fans felt frustrated in points because it was crypto only and crypto. I mean, you know, if you've been in the space long enough, you kind of have become numb to 18 character hexadecimal strings. But, you know, for your average consumer, that's not feasible. Right. And so it's, it's the crypto UX, it's the buying, it's the selling, it's the legalities around it. Um, Ethereum, you know, has a scaling problem. Everyone who's in this space knows that. Um, it's working on getting fixed. But, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think the crypto UX has to come, has to get pushed a little further and for this to really go mainstream. But there are a lot of solutions. You know, there's platforms like Nifty, like Maker's Place, um, that do offer credit card support. So. You know, I think we'll see a little, a lot more hybrid approaches kind of pop up before that fully beautifully decentralized, you know, system exists. You know, at least now it's not for lack of trying to push this mainstream. And, and that's what's, you know, super exciting to me as well. Yeah, no, that makes tons of sense. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting to see some of the early movement from like some of the, the big brands and like these little like signals. I mean, it will be interesting as a lot of the the, the kind of foundational like marketplaces and whatnot adapt so that way people just, because even then too, it's, it's still very much kind of this like vanity, like Taco Bell. I mean, they're chasing press, <laughs> um, yeah, rightfully so. Uh, I mean, when you think about that from like a, having been in the game for a minute, like from a market perspective, I know there's a lot of talk and you even mentioned too, people that like bought these like big open edition NFTs at the beginning of March, like not, not as not, the portfolio is not doing as well as they may have initially <laughs> had hoped. Um, with that said, I mean, when you think about this from like a, a broad market life cycle, I mean, it definitely feels like we are in a bit of a bubble. Like as you look at it from like a collector and creator and investor standpoint, um, what's kind of your outlook on the, the, the evolution of the market and the, the valuations? It's a good question. You know, if you had asked me, five days ago, I would have said, I don't know, you know, I think 10 million is like the top of these valuations, but here we are in a world where people just sold a piece for $69 million. Right. Um, so is there an upper limit to this stuff? It's probably around there, but did we just kind of open the door to the traditional art world that saw a $69 million sale go on at Christie's and said, wait a second, there's so much beautiful art being created in these spaces, maybe let's just go, you know, scoop up some of these pieces that are two, three, five, ten thousand dollars um, $10,000. Is there going to, you know, I, it was in a clubhouse room and Gary V kept harping on the fact that 97% of this shit will fail. And he's probably right to an extent. Um, but again, I think it's, if you're looking at these creators, like people, right. People didn't just go out and spend five minutes and, and make an NFT. He spent 14 fucking years making that NFT. Um, and that basically his, was his 14 year salary was $69 million, which, you know, broken down over 14 years is a lot lower than some of these other artists that are, you know, that big make. So I, I think it will find its balance. I think, you know, nifty kind of having the control over the marketplace right now, which, which they do to an extent, they have all the eyes on them. I think we'll start to shift in the next few weeks and, I think it's going to come down to curators and, you know, that's where it weaves back into communities because, you know, you have a community like NFT now, right? How do, how do you guys pick artists? How do you guys find new stuff and build them up and help them achieve success? Right. And so I think we probably will see a little, and I think we're seeing it right now, a little bit of a deflation, but I, I kind of almost feel like this stuff accelerates in a, in a bit of a way. And whether that's, through monetary value or cultural human value. Um, I, I think we're only going to go up from here in terms of that. And thanks so much. You really touched on a really good point about community and like for context, just you were the person who sharpened me into the Ethereum community back in 2000, what, 16, we were hanging out and it was just like, dude, you need to buy this. You need to get into this. And you've always been someone who gives a ton to the crypto community. Like I've never seen anyone else who uh, is so patient, so kind, so giving and with your knowledge, with your wisdom, with your ether. And so like you also like navigate some very dynamic circles, right? I, I feel like you're like the Sherpa of a lot of people in, in the community. In your opinion, what does the future of community look like for crypto? And what does the future of community look like for NFTs? 
squad wealth, baby. Right. Like, (laughs) um, you know, I think that's what it looks like. It looks like people working online to create value for the last 15 years. We've all been online. Um, and we haven't created any value that's that we've had to, to take advantage of. You know, that value has gone into Facebook being valued at whatever it's valued at today. It's going into, you know, I mean, Facebook and <laughs> Google. And those are the people we've been making money for by creating for the last 10 years. And Spotify, right? Spotify is worth three times the amount of the entire recorded music industry. In what world does that make sense, right? And it's time to take that back. And I think this only becomes more community. Like the communities are only just starting to form now. You know, I have constantly been involved in these communities and I give because I know it's, it comes back around, you know, it, it, it all washes out. Right. And, you know, if you're creating value, if you're in this space and you want to help and you, you do, you know, little things here and there, the value will come back around. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about crypto is the ability to send that value instantly, digitally, permissionlessly, like whatever the word buzzword you want to use. Um, you know, I think that's kind of the intersection. Like I said, right. It's like once, you know, the NFT now has their, their core community of users, they're going to go out and they're going to be finding the best art for you guys to be posting. And then do you guys go and, you know, support people on, on Nifty or do you, or do you launch your own page? That's, you know, uses a backend like Zora and, you know, I can go to the NFT now page and just buy, you know, your taste of, or your community's taste of NFTs. Um, and I think that's where this stuff gets really exciting because the community is inherent to the way these systems work. Because, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And most people in this space want to go far. And most people in this space are willing to, to give the time, give the energy because it feels democratic for now. It feels like a level playing field. Um, and I think that's kind of the most exciting part of all of this stuff too. I love what you said about um, going together, and you know, I feel I feel as though that that sense of camaraderie and community is is so crucial um, to the NFT community, and also um, in the crypto community. I, I think one of the most exciting areas we're seeing development in is the community token uh, space, and you know, I, I I'd love to talk a little bit about friends with benefits FWB. Um, you know, for for those of our listeners who may not be uh, familiar with it. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, how it was founded and for what purpose, because you were the one who brought me into it. Yeah. You know, again, it's, it's, it's bringing together great people. Right. And that's, and doing that in a way where you're all aligned and incentivized to work together. Um, and so probably, I guess last summer it was already at this point, uh, Trevor McFedries, he's uh, CEO of Brud, the creator of Lil Michaela, uh, everyone's favorite digital influencer. He basically, was bored one weekend and was like, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just launch a token. And he, you know, doesn't have really a lot of technical experience so much. I mean, you know, he definitely has, has a bit, but he went on a uh, roll, launched the token, created the, didn't think about the tokenomics of it all and said, cool, this token gets you into this discord group. And I'm just going to fill this discord group with my favorite people. And so he started to, and he started to talk about it more. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to be one of the people that joined early on. And I invited people like you guys, because you guys are, are culturally interesting and awesome. And, you know, the more interesting cultural movers and shakers we kind of put into the group, the better it became. And it kind of blossomed into this group that had about six, has about 650 people in it. And it, it got very expensive to join it because, again, you know, that social capital that we all held just kind of kept increasing because the more people that bought into it, the more expensive the token got. 
And it was creating that kind of squad wealth that really propelled FWB forward and kept continued to. You know, I think it's it's a we've got some really exciting plans over there for what we want to do with the token and to basically just kind of create our own economy that, you know, can help reward creators, cultural people, um, you know, people that are really good at the organization, right? Whatever works together, however you kind of can can be a friends with benefits, right? And that's uh that's what's beautiful about the social token because the more value we put into it, the more things we create, the more valuable the token gets. Um and you know, I can should we go into what happened this weekend? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was I was gonna ask, you know, obviously this past weekend um the role platform was hacked. Um there were a number of different social tokens that had liquidity uh there. I thought you guys did a really phenomenal job responding to that um and creating a solution with FWB Pro. Tell us what that whole process was like, because I imagine it was uh, pretty intense on your end. Yeah. So uh I went to bed. I don't know, maybe at like 2.30 in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night. Um, By the way, that's early for you, bro. That's <laughs> <laughs> Not these days. Uh, well, yeah. Um, but anyway, so I go to bed. I, you know, sleep great. I wake up uh, to a missed call at 4.30 in the morning from Cooper to another uh, missed call at 6 a.m. from another friend um, <laughs> from a message from Andre at like 6 a.m. being like, Oh, you're going to have a fun morning when you wake up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, basically what happened was, uh, you know, we put a lot of trust in the role platform to handle their own security. They had about 25% of the FWB token held in their wallets. Um, we were planning on changing that. Cooper and Trevor were on a call on Saturday night, literally talking about it. They were like, oh yeah, we should remove that. And, you know, they were like, ah, oh, well, it might look weird to the community. We should announce it first. That way it's not like a large chunk of tokens moving. Um, and then Trevor added more liquidity that night to, to the pool. And we woke up in the morning and all of the liquidity had been drained. Uh, the 25% of our supply basically was dumped op- on the market openly. And the price crashed to zero. And you know, we had to basically go into crisis mode. And so we just kind of locked the doors and said, all right, we built, we spent the last six months building a very strong community here. And what we don't want to do, and the reason we close the doors is because opening them dilutes the value of this community that they've created. And while that value was being measured in a token, um, which was trading at almost $70 before the, the hack, um, you know, while all that value was, was kind of captured there, it didn't represent the community. And that, you know, it, it was nice to, to have. It was, you know, um, a bonus for, for building something cool. But for us, you know, I woke up, my first thought was, shit, I really hope the community doesn't get fucked from this. Like, how do we save the community? How do we make sure that, like, the fact that I can just be, like, chatting about coffee or um, what were we talking about the other day? LimeWire and, and other stuff. and. You know, it was like Mike Shinoda is jumping in there. And it's just like, it, it, it's just cool people having cool conversations. And we wanted to preserve that. And so basically spent all of Sunday trying to figure out what to do. Um, because after the hack, a lot of our members said, oh, well, let me buy up some of this extra supply. And what we didn't want to do is basically take everyone's money and run. We wanted to create a, a, a kind of a 
you know, and basically in that sense, we would have snapshotted the pre-token, which is what I believe Cherry is doing. They took a snapshot of all the token holders before, and they're just reissuing the token like it never happened. Um, and we didn't want to do that because to our to our community, their community was trying to step in and help us in what way they knew. And the only way that they knew to help was to, to buy more tokens. Um, and so we basically came up with a mitigation plan that we feel is fair. Uh, the community voted on it. Uh, we basically spent all of Sunday kind of talking to uh, different individuals in the space, some of the you know smartest people that I could think of in this space, kind of laying out the plans and like laying out the different options and trying to figure out how to recover from this because the token, the value of it, the price, that was all secondary. It never came up in discussions in the group. Everyone would just join the group and they'd be like, damn, this group's awesome. You know, it was worth whatever I paid to get in the door. And that was the most important thing to us to preserve. So you know, we came up with a mitigation plan that does require us to uh, reissue the token as FWB Pro. We are basically every token holder that held beforehand will get the same amount afterwards. Um, for those members that bought after the hack, they will be redeemed. Their new tokens will be redeemed at uh, 0.25 to 1. And for any non-members, so basically people in the community that are speculators. They weren't. They weren't there in the beginning. They didn't help create that value. Um, but now they saw a buying opportunity. They saw a cheap entrance fee. They saw whatever it is, and they said, "Oh, let me get in." They're only getting 0.1 to one. Um, so if they weren't a member before, we're basically cutting that by 90% um, because we're cutting the entire token supply by 90%. And that was something we had planned on doing uh, prior to this with the start of season two. And so the way FWB works to kind of keep the community engaged is we work on a season's play. So it cost 50 tokens to get in the very beginning. We weren't in the seasons yet. Season one started with a 55 FWB entrance fee. Season two, it moves up to 60. And the goal there was to keep people engaged because if you are engaged, if you are participating in our coffee times, if you are constantly chatting, if you're you know, being involved, you get rewarded and you get rewarded by FWB tokens. So it's it's similar to, you know, a Fortnite battle pass. You play enough Fortnite, you get the free battle pass for next season. But, you know, here we're playing with community and saying, if you participate enough, you're not going to have to put in any more money. And so we, you know, we are continuing that model into season two and season two, we've got tons of exciting plans of what to do tons of different engagement stuff to really you know the title of the season was supposed to be, is i believe it's still being themed no new friends because at the end of the day we have 600 people in that group and the goal is to get all those people to know each other it's to create real friends um we don't need any new ones we need to be real ones we need to make a community that's welcoming that's engaged that's brilliant that's coming up with new awesome shit and helping them kind of you know figure out blockchain there's tons of learning channels in there too and and it's just one of my favorite places to hang out on the internet at this point and it's exciting to see what we have in the pipeline and it's exciting to see all these other social token communities pop up because what a better way to to organize yourselves than around a cause or a care or something you love yeah no totally i love that i mean I, and i really do think this is kind of laying the groundwork for what how uh, communities in general will start to function. It'll be really exciting to, to see. Are there other like specific examples outside of Friends with Benefits that you feel are doing a really great job or just other like opportunities for you where you really see like this kind of whole like social token community structure kind of uh, 
providing a lot more value to both the community creators and the community members? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of different DAOs going on right now that, and DAOs are decentralized autonomous organizations. So the Friends with Benefits is shifting to a DAO or a community government model. And um, I've been so deep down the FWB rabbit hole the past two days, I can't think of another example, but I know, <laughs> Alejandro, you, you have, um, you have, you know, kind of gone down that rabbit hole of, uh, so, in your opinion, who do you think is the best, uh, the best DAOs that are out there right now? Yeah, man. Um, you know, we're looking at Flamingo. Looks like a really good DAO uh, from the Open Law team. Looks really solid. I think they were one of the first movers who were able to kind of incorporate the legalities of the real, like, fiat world and the crypto world. I'm really digging. I don't know if it's so much of a DAO, but I'm really digging Whale. Like, I'm really digging his approach to community, tokenization of NFTs, like seeing him as kind of like having, quote unquote, the dictatorship around like deciding which pieces he'll purchase and the community and trusting him in that capacity is really valuable. I, lo- I love the programming that he's done uh, with this community managers and see- being super responsive as well uh, around his hack and his token. Um, and in that in that vein, I wanted to ask you, like, what what is the future of these DAOs and NFTs and the relationship that the DAO with NFT have for the next five years? What does that look like in your, in your perspective? The relationship between NFT DAOs. Honestly, I, it's like everyone always comes to me and is like, you know, how do we do X, Y, or Z? Like, you know, what happens when we do this? What happens when we do this creative idea? And the answer that I give them mostly is I have no fucking idea. Um, (laughs) You know, I think Hot that's take. kind of, I mean, seriously. I like the honesty. You know, I mean, I can sit here and pretend to predict the future, but like there has never been a time in history where we've been able to move value so quickly. And so, you know, that's what that's what keeps me excited about blockchains in general is that we, we're, we're really pushing the boundaries on economic models on, on really kind of every institution that has been entrenched for years. We're really pushing the boundaries on what those things look like, whether, you know, I think we're going to start to see a lot of DAOs pop up over around IP ownership. You know, what happens if a group of people get together and buy someone's publishing records, right? What happens if they come together and buy, you know, a piece of IP around, uh, you know, a logo or something, right? Like these things are like the crazier experiments that, um, you know, people are talking about and, and trying to kind of navigate right now. But like, that's where this stuff starts to get wild because like what happens when the ability for um, kind of all of these private markets becomes public and I, they're not quickly becoming public enough for your average investor, but for accredited investors, they are going to probably start coming a lot sooner than people think. And that's where I think things start to get super weird is when like, you know, like, what happens if a group of people own Mickey Mouse instead of Disney, right? And they had to come together to make decisions around what the Mickey, what, you know, would they be lobbying the shit out of the US government? Would they be trying to find new ways to bring people to love that character? I don't know, but I'm excited to watch and find out. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I really love about this answer, man, is like, you can't predict the future, but Jesse, you've been time after time in the last six years on the right side of history, you know, and what do you, what do you give to that? I just like being on the forefront of things on, on that kind of bleeding edge. And I think, you know, you stand at the edge long enough, 
you, you see a lot of shit down the pipeline. Um, but you know, you, it's all about finding the gems and I've made tons of mistakes over the past year on what's been, I mean, you know, look at Ujo, right? Ujo was definitely on the right path and, but it was three years too early. You know, I think timing is, is everything. And that's why, you know, I think we launched this NFT agency so quickly because we were like, you know, strike while the iron's hot. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's staying involved with people that are pushing the boundaries that aren't satisfied with the norms. It's, you know, the creative class of individuals that, that constantly want to, uh, to push boundaries. And, you know, it's, if you're paying enough attention to the, the fringe, you're, you're going to see it. I think. Did you know that Flamingo Dow owns 230 crypto punks? I did not realize it was that many. <laughs> 230 no. crypto punks? Yeah, they like, uh, let's see. I think it's it's 217 crypto punks. That's wild. How many you aliens? There's that squ- hashtag squad wealth. There it is. <laughs> right? There's, there's I, <laughs> Flamingo Dow, I think, was like 100 ETH to join in the beginning or 60, and now it's like 200 ETH. So yeah. it's the collective hive mind is, is better than the individual. And I think the more you surround yourself with people you can constantly learn from, the better off you are. A thousand percent. Well, great way to round out the conversation, man. Super fun to see see all the progress you've made, all the progress you're making. I think we're still... Uh, uh, really excited for all that's in store, Matt. Thank you for coming on today and sharing some insight and some wisdom. And uh, we're, we're on the roller coaster right there with you, bro. Thank you, my friends. It is always a pleasure to, to share that knowledge. All right, man. Take it easy, bro. I know. Take care. Man, well, that was a really incredible episode. Really enjoyed hearing what Jesse had to say. I mean, true wealth of knowledge. Very excited to see a lot of the evolutions in the UX and kind of experience a lot of these under, uh, underlying platforms really love friends with benefits. I think as far as kind of a, uh, a social token and, and social community and, and to- tokenized community for that matter, very exciting. I think they're at the forefront of that format. And I think we will really start to see a lot of different communities, whether it's creators that have communities for their fans or whatever sort of emerging communities we see, we'll, we'll start to see that format be more and more prevalent. So love to see all the innovation there and all this perspective. We'll stood out to you, Matt. You know, it's just so great to hear his perspective. You know, I've known him for years. Um, We've sat on panels together and he has been a believer in the space for much longer than it has been in the public eye. And I think it's really exciting um, to see all of the different projects that he has in the works at a time when the waters have never risen higher. Uh, you know, it's, I'm really excited to see it here, to see and hear more from this creative agency. Um, as he talked about so many new people entering the space, and I know that he and Andre and, and, and Gia are in it for the right reasons and are there to empower artists and ensure equity. I'm really excited to hear more about that. I also loved his perspective on, um, you know, Ujo, uh, and and its timing and and where uh, where new projects have sort of uh, taken the baton and and are leading um, that intersection of music and blockchain into the into the, the future. So it, it was just it was just a really great episode that I think touched on a lot of different interesting areas because he is a guy who has always had his hands in many things. Yeah, what do you think, Ali? And I really love that his perspective on the space is from a guardianship uh, approach. Like he's trying to be a guardian of the space. I really love the, the element of the purism that he wants to bring on for the longevity, for the sustainability and uh, for the recurring 
of the community focused uh, platform plays that we're seeing like being stood up, you know? The other thing that really stood out for me is just how humble he really is, man. Like his humility, even he, though he's been in the space for six years actively, co-creator co of Ethereal, at Consensus, you know, with Ujo, with Friends with Benefits, with Chat Team Six, and now with this agency, he still very much downplays his knowledge in a way of like, I'm still learning. I'm still here navigating with everyone. I just want to surround myself with really cool people and do cool shit. So that was really what stood out for me. Yeah, no, truly incredible guys. Great episode, great conversation. Well, really appreciate all you tuning in as always. We'll be back next week. Until then, we out.